Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the in-season edition of the Philosophy Podcast with PLL Chaos head coach, Andy Towers. What's up, Andy? How you doing today? Uh, I'm above average, Jamie. Yeah. Now, you said you, uh, before, when we were just chatting, you said you were in Fuego uh, this weekend? How, how do you, how do you? I was. Well, we went through our picks last week. I think what you asked me for about six or eight games, the best games last week. And I was, I think I was 100% going into Sunday where at the end of Sunday, I was staring up at rock bottom. But at the end of Saturday night, I was in a great spot. I had one with uh, Duke over Loyola on Thursday. I picked the upset of Penn beating Villanova on Friday. I picked uh, Syracuse to beat Hopkins up in the Dome. Uh, oh, I was wrong. I picked Princeton to beat Rutgers, and they did not win there. I picked Lehigh to upset ranked Army, and they did that. I picked Notre Dame to beat Denver, although I didn't feel great about that pick. I did. Right after I picked it, I said, oh, no, I should have picked Denver in my head. But that's a private conversation between me and my health. Is that kind of like when you get um, a Reese's peanut butter cup and you wish you got a Snickers? Kind of. Candy bar remorse. Order remorse. <laughs> Kick remorse. Uh, and then Sunday, I came down to earth quickly. Um, I would have been wrong on all of them. Uh, I, I was really wrong in Towson. I thought Towson was going to beat Cornell. I told Timmy. I called up Timmy Goldstein and popped off to him after they got beat by Penn State and said, ah, I picked Penn State to win 18-12. Guess I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like that. He was going golfing that day with Liz Rock and, and uh, her pie and those guys down in Atlanta or wherever it was, wherever that game was. South Carolina? Is that where the game was? South Carolina? Uh, uh, Charlotte. North Carolina. Okay. But Charlotte. it's on the border pretty much with South Carolina. Good. Well, they were going golfing that day, and Timmy assured me that Cornell was going to come back and respond because in football, that's what happens quite often. right? A team gets beat. And everybody thinks they're at rock bottom and they get reorganized, remotivated and come back and play a uh, harder and, and more focused football. And I said, well, that certainly scares me, Timmy, seeing how much success you've had with football. They're lightweight football is actually pretty good. I'm sure it was. Timmy probably would have been great as a 140 pounder. But um, the fact is, is Timmy nailed it. And so I, I had to call him up on Sunday when Cornell scored their ninth straight goal and we're up something like 11 to five. And it was clear that Cornell was going to beat Towson. And I had to man up and calm up and say, well, you were right, Timmy. And he goes, I told you, AT. And I said, that's, <laughs> that's, that's why you were national player of the year. And I was a super nice kid, Tim. <laughs> he took it in stride. Hey, speaking of football, yeah. I did a podcast this past Friday with Matt Hasselbeck. 
Ah, excellent. And it was. So his daughters and son play lacrosse. So, it, so there's the lacrosse connection. But we talk, we tell tons of stories and we talk about the AT trip move. Ah, so excellent. We brought, we, I, I was like, it was invented by this guy, Andy Towers. I did this podcast with him. And so he's going to keep working on trying to get the trip move working. I keep saying try to get Edelman to do it, but he was talking about getting the Giants to lick one of the trip moves. So. Giants need a couple of trip moves. What they need to do is they need to trip OBJ right on out of New York and bring in Baker Mayfield. I would love that. If we can't get Kyler Murray in the draft, let's bring in Baker Mayfield, pair him up with Saquon, try to run Philly out of the NFC East. That'd be awesome. The Phil Acrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. All right, let's get on this. All right. Duke Loyola, the Thursday night game. I love the Thursday night edition of Saturday lacrosse, um, similar to the NFL. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how you felt about this going in, but, you know, after Loyola's display against Towson, I, I was I, going into that game. I was a little worried about their defense and then I became more worried about it. And then obviously Duke took advantage of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, on that game? I watched the whole game and I was accidentally right in a lot of areas. Uh, and the reason I say accidentally right is, well, I picked Duke to win. Frankly, I thought that JT Giles Harris would end up covering Pat Spencer and would put an end to Pat Spencer. Um, And I was wrong. JT Giles Harris did not cover Pat Spencer. He covered Kevin Lindley, who I consider the best inside guy in college across right now. And they shut him off. And I think it was Clark doing the game with Quint and Anish. And I think it was Quint that noticed that they were shutting off Kevin Lindley when he was in the crease, but then he'd go behind the goal and they would let him go back there only to reshut him as he came back around the other side. Um, and they put Cade Van Raphorst on Pat Spencer. And obviously Cade Van Raphorst shut him down. This is what was disappointing to see. Um, you know, we've been huge advocates of the coaching staff at Loyal, and I don't back off my assertion that they're, you know, right there with a, a very small group of the very best coaches in the whole country. However, in this game, they got outcoached. I was shocked to see that, Pence, that that Pat Spencer would not speed dodge his defender. The entire game, he's going against Cade Van Rapphorst, who's an unbelievable athlete in himself, right? But let's face it, you look at Pat Spencer athletically, and he is too big and too strong for the people that are quick enough to match his feet, and he's too quick for the people that are big enough to body him up, right? Cade Van Rapphorst can body him up. Pat Spencer never in the game went right at him and attacked him with, you know, speed, change of direction, and contact. It was back and roll back, back and roll back, back and roll back. And, and he just didn't really put any pressure on Duke's defense to have to slide to support Cade Van Raphorst. And outside of an early two-man game that led to a Chase Scanlon goal, Pat Spencer was basically nowhere to be seen. And as a result, Kevin Lindley was nowhere to be seen. And 
Loyola's team down 11 and three was nowhere to be seen. The thing that shocked me, I will say, is that Bailey Savio went an eight out of 10 in the first half against Brian Smith, who is the face-off guy, uh, and Jordan Ginder, face-off guys for Duke. I thought the Duke guys would beat Bailey Savio up. And again, Bailey Savio proved me wrong by uh, beating them up, at least in the first half. Things evened out in the second half a little bit, but um, you got to hand it to Duke, man. I, got, I ranked them number one in the country this week. We're the only team in the country with, uh, well, they're one of two teams with three quality wins to, through week five, right? They've beaten Denver by one. They beat Richmond. This is off of last week's poll, not today's poll. They beat Denver by one, Richmond by four, Loyola by five. The only other team with three top 20 wins to this point is Towson with wins over Georgetown, Loyola, and Hopkins. So I have Duke and Towson ranked one and two. But I was, uh, I was super impressed by the game plan and execution of Duke um, and disappointed that Pet Spencer didn't utilize his speed um, to attack a defender that, let's face it, played him really, really well and won that matchup in spades. What do you think? I mean, it's just, it's just a classic example of Duke just continuing to get better. Getting healthy, too, you know. Uh, getting the Clyde Montgomery back in the mix is huge for them. Oh, I think that's yeah. a total difference maker for their offense. They did not have them in their earlier games. Um, and, you know, they're just really, really, really well coached, Duke is. Um, and I know we keep saying this, but, you know, Duke, Duke continues to they, – they do a great job of developing their individual players – within the scheme, they kind of run the same stuff every year. You know, they run their one, three, two crease pop that turns into one, four, one, or they run their pairs. That's what they do. And early on, it doesn't always look that good, but as time goes on, all of a sudden you just notice over the course of time, and I'm talking middies from, from the last decade, guys that played in 2010, 14, all this, all of a sudden you're like seeing Chapuka and he's like, wow, where, where did that move come from? All of a sudden he's like doing these like little roll dodge MJ moves right. and then moving the ball to somebody. And it's just like they add elements in repertoire to the games of their players within the this, this simple scheme that they play on that side of the ball. And it's, they do it every year. They just keep getting better. It's really impressive. You're right. They, you know, they always end up with their six really reliable play within the framework of their scheme midfielders that seem to make it go. They, they have a, a, a line of their first three guys that seem to get, you know, two thirds of the shifts and, you know, are really, really talented. And then they also, they always get another line that's very serviceable that never hurts them and chips in as well. I think I, I, Great point on Montgomery. Listen, that kid is a first-team All-American. There's no question about it in my mind. And while he hasn't statistically stuck out in the first five games, this game he had, I, I believe, the first four goals or three of the first four goals. And what a shooting display. You know, he's able to overpower goalies from 15 yards with overhand step-in shots. The placement is just unbelievable in where he's putting these shots. And you've got to, you've got to slide to him. If you don't slide, if he covered, he's, he's using a short stick for a goal, I think, every single time. And maybe not even getting touched by that short stick. Like, he'd be unbelievable at TV tag. <laughs> what, what, uh, what's your explanation for why Pat Spencer – hasn't been going at his guy with speed and changing direction. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that like he's gotten into the habit of people sliding to him so early that he just can't go in, you know, with so much speed because it just, it speeds up his own 
decision-making processes sometimes. In other words, like against Towson, he was kind of like – against a lot of teams that are coming early, he can just sort of sit there and bait, bait you into sliding so that he can feed it. Yeah. Was Duke really not coming on slides, in which case, hey, man, you got to start running at your guy? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that – first of all, I'm not positive anybody has covered Pat Spencer yet this season that's been – uh, on par athletically with Cade Van Raphorst. That's number one. Number two, I think that Duke trusts a first-team All-American defenseman, Cade Van Raphorst, to, to cover him pretty well. And, you know, let's let, let's let him cover him. We're not going to help him at all. And, you know, if he scores a second one-on-one -on -one goal, then maybe we'll rethink our strategy. But until that happens, let's not, let's not worry about it. So they – I think that teams were maybe creating offense for Pat Spencer in the first four games of the season. And in this instance, Duke could roll out a defenseman, probably two when you factor in Giles Harris as well, who I personally think is the best defenseman in the country this year. They're rolling out two guys that, you know, they can, they can sort of say, okay, prove that our guy can't handle this matchup versus Pat Spencer you know, as it relates to Pat Spencer running by them for goals before we're going to have to change our, our strategy. And, and it worked. I mean, it, like, it worked. They didn't have to slide. And if you don't have to slide, right. you, don't, you don't have offense, you know. Um, yeah. So I think you got to hand it to Duke yeah. for trusting their players and, uh, and coming up with a scheme that Loyola didn't – they never adjusted to it. You know, yeah. they never adjusted to it. But you got a guy like Pat Spencer, you know, and look, Pat Spencer's been averaging almost eight points a game with slow dodging and rollback and slow dodging and rollback and slow dodging and rollback. So, you know, Loyola's going to make the adjustment. They're going to come back. And they're yeah. going to be better. And Pat Spencer's going to be more dynamic and even scarier than he has been for the first third of the season. Down the next two thirds of the season, because of the way that this game played out for him, you know, better to have this game happen the first or second week of March than you know the third week in May and and you know all indications are that they won't get beat the same way that Duke managed to shut down Loyola's offense this week again this season. No doubt. So one undefeated team left in Division One, Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, yeah. Nick Myers continues to just uh, kind of. I feel like the Buckeyes are a little under the radar. They their schedule. They've played, they've played some really good games. They just haven't played, like, the marquee games yet. And we know that's coming soon as they've got, you know, Notre Dame coming up and Denver coming up out of conference and, of course, the Big Ten. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to watch them very much because of the, the, the way the schedule is shaken out. Have you seen – you got any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I got thoughts on them. Um, you know, I do, a, I do a poll every single week, Jamie. I post my poll on Twitter. And through the first four weeks of the season, Ohio State – quickly went, moved up my poll. And I had him as high as ranked two last week um, behind only Towson. This week, I couldn't stomach having them ranked that high anymore. And I finally snapped and moved them down to 12. And the reason I moved them down to 12 is, sure, they're the only undefeated team at 6-0, and but who have they beaten? They beat Cleveland State by three, BU by seven, UMass by four, Bucknell by three, Marquette by four, Hofstra by six. They haven't beaten anybody. They haven't played anybody. They haven't beat. They don't have a top 10 win. And it's tough to look at them and say, you know what, I'm going to rank them ahead of high point who has two wins over ranked teams in who I voted for number one this week, Duke and Virginia. 
right? You just, you can't, you can't do it. Now, things are going to change this week. They play Denver at home, but Denver hasn't beaten anybody either. They have no big wins. So I'm not even sure that if Ohio State beats Denver this week, that it counts for much. While it's a top 20 win, it's not a top eight win. It's not a top 10 win. You know, Denver themselves haven't beaten anybody. We all know Denver's a great team, very well coached. But until OSU beats, you know, top-ranked teams, it, their 6-0 record doesn't mean anything anymore. And I just couldn't continue to rank them high, highly when they, haven't, they don't have really a body of work over, over tough teams yet. Um, so I don't have a doubt in my mind that they're a top-10 team. If I had to say, okay, you know, who are the best, the best eight teams in the country? I may have them in that group. But in terms of if I'm ranking teams based on body of work, I couldn't stomach ranking them higher than 12. And even that's maybe high considering they haven't played anyone. But yeah. you know, the teams below them, you know, the teams that I have ranked below Ohio State that do have wins, Lehigh is one of them, but they have a bad loss to Hofstra. Colgate is one of them. They technically have what I would say is a bad loss to Lehigh, at least leading into this weekend. And then Army is one of them who has a high-quality win over Rutgers, but, but um, even they lost to Lehigh. So I, 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 can, I can put them at – I can put Ohio State at 12 and, and feel like I can verbally defend that adequately. How about the Colgate-BU? Uh, Colgate with a big win over BU. BU, you know, look, looking strong from the, from the outset, but really hadn't played anybody either. Um, and then Colgate, who does have their big win over Syracuse, and a loss to Lehigh comes back with a with a solid win. Thoughts on that game? Yeah, just so happy for Matt Carwick. I listened to his podcast today. Actually, I listened to Rick Beardsley's podcast, the Upstate ESPN uh, Saturday morning podcast today, and Matt Carwick was on that show, and he just does. He did an awesome. It was so great listening to him and how he came in and uh, took control of the culture of the program. And I'm not surprised, or I should say, I won't be surprised by any success that Colgate has moving ahead. He sounds like he's just an unbelievably squared away dude. Um, you know, I've met him a couple times, but never really hung out with him and certainly have never hear, heard him speak about lacrosse, but I was really impressed with them. Uh, you know, as the season progresses, you look at Syracuse beating Hopkins on Saturday, the fact that Colgate has that win under their belt, along with a high quality win over BU, who you said hasn't played anybody, and I agree. Um, you know, I, I got Colgate firmly in my top 20 at 19. Um, they did lose to Lehigh last week, and they lost to Maryland. But, you know, I see uh, this Colgate team is, is all of a sudden going to be a contender in the Patriot League. And they were an afterthought coming into this season. That was not a team that I was looking at when I looked at the Patriot League and thought, hey, you know what, Colgate's going to cause some problems here, and they're going to force themselves – into the playoff picture, but sure enough, they have. We're, you know, five weeks in, and, and Colgate is well-deservingly in the top 20, uh, maybe even deservingly higher than they should be. Perhaps they should be ranked higher than Denver, considering that, um, you know, they have a high-quality win, and Denver does not. Um, but Denver's losses are really only to Duke by one, Notre Dame by three. Um, so I, I, can, I can live with Denver at 17. But I was impressed by Colgate. Um, BU sort of needed this. They needed this win. This would have been a, a great win to get and would have probably knocked Colgate out of the top 20 and would have put BU in the top 20. Um, but like you said, you know, BU's five and two. They've lost to Ohio State by seven. They lost to Colgate by two. 
and who are their wins? You know, they beat PC by one, Dartmouth by seven. Win over Sacred Heart is a really good win, in my opinion. Sacred Heart doesn't get enough credit, although they've had some some up and down inconsistent performances this spring. Uh, they beat Bryant by five, spanked them, and beat Vermont by eight. So um, BU's getting good wins over teams that, you know, aren't doing that well, but unfortunately doesn't have a win over teams that are doing well. Speaking of Patriot League, another great matchup was Lehigh Army. And Lehigh, you know, Lehigh is remarkable because they, they, lost, they lost their best offensive player. I think they've lost a bunch of players, and they still compete, and they're right there. Um, they played Cornell tough, and they turn around and knock off Colgate. Um, and now they knock off Army. And Army's, you know, Army's proven to be a really tough out for anybody. Um, so, you know, great job by Coach Cassis in Lehigh to, to continue to compete, even though their best offensive player. A lot of teams would struggle if they're bet when their best offensive player, uh, I think it's Pettit. Yeah. Uh, when their best offensive player is out, you know, it, it, it leaves a hole. And they've been able to battle. Well, no, no question. And what that does is that speaks to uh, the culture of the program, but then also to the scheme support that Kevin and his staff have put in place here at Lehigh. For you to lose your best offensive player and to get better over the course of the season, uh, like you said, you know, they after losing to Hofstra by one beginning of the year, they went to the season ranked 13 and, and we were all thinking, all right, you know, top to bottom, this is a team that has a top five face-off guy. They've got some really, really good high-end, best in the country conversation defensemen and a dangerous offense. You know, for them to lose Pettit and be out for the year and, and, and opening week lose to Hofstra, but then to come back and beat Colgate by two, beat Army by three, you know, this is a team that, that clearly has fought and scrapped its way back into the top 20. I have them ranked 16th this week ahead of Colgate and ahead of Army, two teams that they beat the last two weeks, um, you know, with their high-quality win over Army and, and now over Colgate um, as well. But I think this is a team that's only going to get stronger and stronger as the season progresses here. And, and I think that by the end of the year, this is going to be a team that can challenge Loyola for the Patriot League championship. Your league is a tough league. I mean, there's just, it's a big league and there's a lot of solid teams. I don't know if there's any great ones other than perhaps Loyola, but, but it, it, you know, there's a lot of good coaches and a lot of, a lot of athletes and a lot of competition. Oh, let's, let's uh, turn the uh, topic to Syracuse Hopkins in the dome. Huge W for Syracuse. Phenomenal fourth quarter really where they just pulled away um, and asserted themselves. But uh, what were your thoughts on that game? I watched this whole game, you know, and we had Las Vegas Lions had this game as Syracuse favored by one. And I, you know, I took Syracuse in the pool that I was in. And the reason I took Syracuse in that game is because I felt like their backs were a little bit more against the wall than Hopkins. Hopkins was coming off two great bounce back wins, one at Carolina and the next week at Princeton. Um, you know, and Syracuse had just threw away a four-goal lead over Virginia to lose in overtime. And it just seemed like Syracuse needed to win this game a little bit more than Hopkins did. And it was up in the dome. And I thought that Hopkins was controlling the game. Certainly they jumped out to an early lead and looked like they could run away with it. But credit Syracuse, they came back, they started to compete at the X. And, um, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, they, they – they came back and won the game and really put it away down the stretch. 
I was so impressed by the Syracuse Paul Kennedy. God, he is fast as hell. Yeah. He's got unbelievable feel for how to play transition offense, whether it's as a feeder or somebody that's putting pressure uh, on the defense to score in transition. I, he's so good off the ground. He's tough as you need him to be. Um, he was he was just unbelievable to watch. Real, I got a real appreciation for him and, and think of him as one of the very best poles in the country. Um, but it's a huge win for Syracuse. They needed it. Now, Hopkins, um, they're going to need Princeton to win, and they're going to need Carolina to win for those wins to sort of become something. Even though those are great wins, they're two teams that, you know, aren't currently in the top 20, um, or at least I should say I have Carolina ranked 20th. Princeton's, Princeton, Princeton's in a sort of a sad position because they've lost, what, three games by four goals to all ranked teams, and now they're sitting at, um, you know, two and three, and, and they're, what, five goals from being number one in the country and deservedly so. That's, that's how sick it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this was just a, this was a great win by Syracuse, and, you know, they got Rutgers, I think, as their next game at home. They need to win this. They, you know, they, they need to get over that hump and be four and two because if they lose to Rutgers and they're three and three and their wins will be, you know, Army and, and Hopkins, I'm not sure those are holding up in the at-large playoff discussions come late April, early May. So Syracuse, needs to, they, need, they need to beat Rutgers in their next game for sure. So the, the nightcap game was the West Coast, Pacific Coast shootout, Notre Dame and Denver, run by GW Mix, runs that, uh, former coach at Penn, actually uh, was there when I got recruited, took my uh, official visit down to Penn. But uh, he, he's a high school coach out there and has done an incredible amount um, for uh, lacrosse in Orange County, California, and has brought really high-level games each year. Um, great fans, sick, you know, it's, it's web it's stream. They got about 6,000 fans. It's a spring break opportunity for the, for the players. And, uh, the game didn't disappoint. Um, I caught the second half of this game, but it was a little late on the East coast, right? It was like a 10 PM start East coast time, right? Yeah. I so, um, so I, um, I ended up getting a chance to see the second half and Notre Dame had already established a pretty solid lead and Denver was doing what Denver does, which is, you know, coming back in a game. Um, and it always seems like Notre Dame jumps on Denver and then Denver comes back. And that's what they did. But this time, Notre Dame, you know, when Denver pulled the within two, Notre Dame was able to make it three. And they were just – they asserted themselves physically in this game. You know, Denver, you know, so well coached on both sides of the ball. We know that Matt Brown is, is, is really an offensive genius. And their offense kind of looks the same in the way they're trying to play. But – Right now, they do not have the same threats offensively that they've had. Ethan Walker still is, but he's not so much of an initiator. And, um, and they, you know, at the end of the day, Notre Dame's defense, they, they just, they cover up so well for each, for each other, but they just didn't really have to slide all that much. So here you have this defense that's in position, that's packed in, that's putting great pressure on the ball. But they're just, sometimes when you watch Notre Dame, you're like, there's nothing open. And that's the way it felt for me watching. Yeah. I, you know, when Denver had Connor Canizero, who graduated a few years ago, they had that one guy that they could flip the ball to at the end of the game and say, okay, you know, go get us a goal. You know, I, I can, Matt Brown is, is arguably the best offensive mind in the whole country. Right. But I think that 
Denver's personnel lacks a guy that they can give the ball to that if you don't slide to that on-ball defender, the kid's going to score a goal. They don't have that guy. So they kind of have to manufacture goals through, you know, two-man games and, and that sort of stuff. And then you factor in that they're only winning 50% of the face-offs instead of 73% of the face-offs. And you start to look at an offense that doesn't scare you the way that they used to scare you. Um, and the other side of that is obviously that Notre Dame is starting to ride their veterans, Costa Beal, Gleason, you know, Gleason's got to be in consideration for, hopefully he's on the tour ton list. Cause that kid is, you know, that kid is, he's a beast. If there's, I don't know, if, you know, five better attackmen in the country than, than Gleason, right? He's just gets it done and he gets it done with, I love the way he plays, you know, he just, he just is as tough as you need him to be and is, is consistently, uh, you know, a source of offense for a team with an offensive scheme that, you know, I don't love. And, you know, I'm not sure many people look at it and say, wow, their offense is super dynamic, you know. But, but players like Brendan Gleason and Brian Costabile just, if they can get those guys, if they can get Notre Dame to 10 goals every game and they're – they're competing at the X, like Charlie Leonard, your boy Charlie Leonard, when I think eight for 16. That's the formula to, to just uh, uh, for a slow death versus, versus Notre Dame. Now, we're going to see what happens at Virginia this week. I think Notre Dame goes to, um, to Virginia. I think they beat him, uh, particularly if Leonard can get 50%, which I think he will. Um, you know, I just, I just think that uh, it's going to be a bad matchup for Virginia with the way that Notre Dame is playing right now. When I was visiting South Bend back in January, um, I remember talking to Jerry Byrne and, you know, he, he was like, yeah, we graduated, you know, they graduated Apple and Landis and, and uh, Sexton and these just unbelievable defensemen over the last couple of years and incredible cover guys. Right. Like, yeah, we may not have the, the, the name cover guys, but man, he's like, our guys are communicating at a high level. And and that is something, that's a statement that says a lot because the guy's, you know, been there now since like 2007. So it's been 12, 12 years, 13th year, something like that. And I feel like you can watch a video of a Notre Dame defense and it looks exactly the same every single year from their posture, their head turn, the way they talk and the way they, you know, slide and recover and all the things that they do. And for him to say that, it says a lot. So it, it, it was a little bit of a precursor to what we're seeing, which is really good defense. And the shot clock's going to help them because now they don't have to, like, guard you for, like, six minutes. You know, right. they, they, can, they can play really good defense for eight seconds. Right. Um, well, it's time now, Andy, for the Oxia Time Ivy League review. There's a lot of great Ivy games. And Oxia Time is the sponsor of our podcast. John Canaris started this company, played goalie at Penn, took, took Penn to the Final Four in the 80s, and has started this watch company. He's actually like, you know, Andy and I are passionate about lacrosse and college lacrosse. John Canaris is passionate about watches and he's passionate about lacrosse career and his, all his memories about Penn lacrosse. Um, they won the Ivy championship twice. He was a starting goalie. So he, 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 he basically gets a payout from his corporate America job and starts this company. And it's, he makes Swiss watches. And um, I, I got mine on. Um, 
these watches are sick. They're like $5,000 watches that you can get for like a thousand bucks. And they, they have right now, he's got deals with the Ivy league and Navy where you can get uh, a subtle logo on your watch. So just imagine like getting a $5,000 watch, you get a little logo, a subtle logo mark. Um, so it's just kind of brings you back in time. And that's why I love the fact that they're sponsoring our podcast because it allows us some memories, Andy. So I've got one for you. The flashback, 1990. The yeah. rules had changed in 1990 yeah. to no longer could you have five poles. You could only have four. That, that, that was a huge difference in the game. One of the most big rule changes ever, really, going from five poles to four poles. Now, all of a sudden, two guys get shorties. And you guys are playing Harvard in 1990, the Brown-Harvard game. Ah, uh, yes. And I, I think there, there was like close to 40 goals scored in this game. But uh, give us a little bit of a, a recap on this one. I remember that really, really well, that game. That was – that we, we ended up winning the game 21-18 to 18 under the lights at Stevenson Field. And I – What do you have? What do you I, have in the game? I was 5-3, and three, Jamie. 5-3? and three? Yep, I think I got – How about your face-offs? Uh, I didn't face off that much in that game. Um, I, I think I probably did pretty well, but I, I can't remember facing off too much in that game. I do remember that I was being covered by uh, New Orleans Superdome and Mike Murphy, the big Mike Murphy, not the Kobe Mike Murphy, not the Penn Mike Murphy, right? Not the Mike Murphy down at the corner bar, but the Harvard Mike Murphy, who was, let's face it, maybe the biggest human being I've ever almost been around. Uh, the guy from Longmeadow who works for SDX, who's arguably, he's in the finals of the nicest guy in the world championships. Um, and the last time I saw Murph, we were down playing in the Ocean City tournament. It was about 2001. And he certainly hadn't gotten any smaller. And I'm 6'4", 245 pounds. And Murph just picked me up and threw me on top of his shoulder. <laughs> I felt like a hood ornament, right? I felt like Andy Towers by Fisher Price. Uh, this guy was an absolute beast, but we went at it back and forth in that game. And in that game, I also distinctly remember, so you knew Rich Tui was a year behind you, two years ahead of me. And basically for Manhasset had arguably the hardest shot in the entire planet. And in that game, I gotta say that David Kramer, actually shot the ball, I believe, a few miles an hour harder than Rich Tui and scored some goals that were literally one step inside the restraining line on Snake that I, I just could not even believe how hard his kid shot was, David Kramer. And I don't know what kind of stick he played with because he wasn't like a big overpowering guy, but he could shoot the ball like I, like you just haven't really ever seen before. Do you remember that kid? I do. I didn't see it because I was currently coaching at Colorado College. Got it. So I was uh, I was not around, but I was getting the uh, the updates via. That was a huge game because that was the year that uh, Yale won it. John Reese ended up with something like eighty two goals from the midfield. Right. You know, cartoon stats. Um, you know, when we had we were having a good year too that year, but we ended up losing to Yale sixteen fourteen down at Reese Stadium, which sucked and felt like we were the two best teams in the league. And we beat Harvard that year, but then Harvard came back at the very end of the year and ended up beating Yale. 
And so Harvard and Yale tied for the Ivy League championship that year at five and one. Well, the Oxia time flat Ivy League flashback um, was, uh, that was a good one. That was a big game. And that was 39 goals scored in the game with the new rules. And I was always kind of frustrated with that because, like, I, I remember being a freshman and having a pole on me. I definitely would have had a shorty on me. So many poles. So many poles. So many poles. So little time. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Friday night's Cornell-Penn State game. Uh, I was really looking forward to this game. Um, and, um, and Penn State really kind of established uh, their dominance in this game pretty early um, and jumped on Cornell big time. Thoughts on that game? You know, this game went exactly as I thought it would go, whereas the Cornell-Towson game on Sunday went the exact opposite way. Um, I thought in both games that Cornell would get rinsed at the face-offs, and sure enough, in this Penn State game, Gerard Arcieri rinsed them, and they jumped out in front, and they controlled the game. And it just goes to show that Penn State, to me, right now, is the best team in the whole country. You know, I ranked Duke number one based on their body of work, but I think that Penn State is actually the best team in the country. Mac O'Keefe goes six and one. Um, you know, Grant Amen, oh and nine. And when, oh and nine, like the last person to do that, the last person to do that, I believe, was Kevin Lowe when he played for Princeton against Yale my sophomore year. You may have been – actually, you said you were coaching in 1990. Yeah, I was coaching at Yale. Maybe oh, your sophomore year, 90? Yeah. 91, 91 anyways. But for Grant Amen to go online, I know Pat Spencer's gotten all of the uh, juice through this part this part of the season. He deserves it. The, kid, the kid's a stud. But Grant Amen's having a better year. Grant Amen is, to me, the national player of the year. And if it's not him, it's probably TD Ireland. Let's see how it plays out the next 10 weeks or however long we have left. But to me, through five weeks, Grant Amen has established himself as playing at a level that no one else is playing at. His team is six and one, currently number one, I think, in the media poll, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, deservedly so. You know, Cornell is a team that can win the national championship. But for them to win the national championship, they got to they got to be competitive at the X. And by competitive, I mean, you know. 45 plus, I think they need, 45% plus they need at, uh, at the X, and I think they need 55 plus in the goal. And it was good to see that they finally made the change and put T.D. Erland's little brother, Chase Erland, in goal. And sounds like he stepped up in a big way during the Towson game. And if they've found their answer in the goal and they can get Rosimowitz back and healthy so that he's competing pain-free, um, then Cornell is a team that, that I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went on and won the whole thing. But, but they're going to have to compete in a better way than they were, than they did on Friday night, you know, at the X against Arcieri in order to have a chance to win these games. But Penn State, to me, they're, they're the team to beat at this point in the year. So Cornell, you know, in, in one weekend – play two of the best teams in the country and that have the best face-off guys, you know, in, in, in Erlen, you know, right? Two and three. Two and and they get, they get hammered on face-offs in both games, but they end up scoring a lot of goals uh, against Towson and win the game, what, 18-11. Um, yeah. so, so let's just, while we're still talking on the Cornell topic, give us your thoughts on that game and, and, and what a great bounce back that was. On well, the Cornell-Towson game. Yeah, yeah. We, we touched on it briefly before, 
Uh, I thought that Towson would beat Cornell the same way that Penn State was able to beat him. I thought Woodall would destroy him at the X, but he did. He won 22 out of 26 or something crazy like that. And Penn State jumped out to an early lead. But then obviously Cornell started to gain possessions in other, other areas of the game. And if you give Cornell's offense the ball too much, you're going to lose. It's that simple. I don't think anyone can stop Cornell's offense. The question is, can you prevent their offense from getting the ball? And that's the key to beating this Cornell team. Because you're not gonna, you're not gonna stop their offense. You're just not gonna do it. And uh, well, who can get stops on defense? You know, that's gonna be huge too. Because obviously, like against, you know, they gave up a ton of goals in a few games. Yeah. Um, and that's part of. And the fact that they're not great at the X means that if they can get stops. Um, that's going to be obviously huge. Yeah, and they'll get better. I mean, they're going to get better over the course of the year. And if they've, if they've found their answer in the goal, as this kid gets more comfortable running their defense, they're only going to get better, you know, on a per-position basis. They're going to only clear, you know, at a higher percentage. They're going to, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be a team that can manage losing face-offs better and better as, as the year progresses. But certainly you don't want to give a team – you know, 75% of the possessions after every single goal is scored. If that team has a good offense, which Penn State clearly does, but Towson does too, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a tough time winning those games consistently. But credit Cornell for them to come yeah. back in the way that they did Big time bounce back. this weekend with, again, playing whatever, one and four based on last week's polls – a super aggressive scheduling and a great way to finish the weekend. So much better than winning Friday versus Penn State and losing on Sunday. Yeah. They're coming off this win on Sunday, and I'm sure can't wait to get out to the practice field and their prep for a huge Ivy showdown against Yale this weekend. Penn Villanova. Nova had a tough weekend, and Penn got a huge win. Penn had a big weekend with two wins. Your thoughts on Penn? Yeah, Penn, uh, you know, Penn really stepped up. Villanova did have a weekend. They, like, they like got a DWI on Friday and came back and got a huge speeding ticket on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, we spoke last week about Penn and the way that they were playing, uh, losing an overtime to Maryland, losing a really, really hard-fought game where they led the whole game against Penn State. You know, looking at the Duke game, they got destroyed down at Duke in between those, but that seemed to be the aberration. And we looked at this game and we thought, you know, Villanova's body of work is awesome. They beat Yale. And, uh, you know, but it just seemed like it set up for Penn to win this game. They're, they had played well enough to have data points available to their team that, that said, hey, we're, you know, we're playing well enough to beat the best teams in the country. And they are. You know, but they hadn't gotten the result that they wanted. And with Villanova coming in with a huge win over Yale, hard to convince the Villanova kids that 0-3 Penn was a team to be taken seriously. And sure enough, you know, Penn came out and just jumped all over them and, and, and pounded them. Um, and I, I'm not surprised by that game. I picked it. And then the next game against – I thought that St. Joe's would play Penn tougher on Sunday. I, I didn't think that Penn would beat them up the way that they did. But here we go. You know, Penn schedules – no one's had a tougher first four games than them, uh, first five games, whatever, than Penn. And they're two and three with a, with a win over ranked Villanova, who might not be ranked anymore after the fact that they lost two this weekend. Um, 
but they got a big, big opportunity against Princeton, who Princeton now is going to be playing with that same level of desperation that Penn played with this past weekend. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Princeton go down there to Penn and beat them. Um, you know, and I, I think that game is, I think that game is at Penn this weekend. It wouldn't surprise me to see Princeton play with the same sort of desperation that Penn went into Friday's game versus Villanova with and see Princeton go and beat Penn this weekend. But we'll see. Well, speaking of Princeton, uh, Rutgers knocks off Princeton. You, we, you, you know, you reference how many close games Princeton has had with Hopkins, with Virginia, and now with Rutgers. Uh, thoughts on Princeton and where they're at? You know, if John Hess isn't already smoking cigarettes, um, <laughs> he's probably smoking cigarettes. He probably started this weekend. You know, for these guys to lose another one-goal game, the Rutgers, uh, you know, and we referenced it before earlier in, uh, earlier in the podcast, they're five goals away from being the number one team in the country with three top 20 wins over Virginia, Hopkins, and Rutgers. Instead, they lose them all by one and two goals, and here they are out of the top 20 with the game at Penn. I mean, they could go down to Penn and they could lose. I think they're going to win, frankly, but they could go down there and they could lose and be two and four and playing for their lives and still have Cornell and Yale on their schedule. They can't, they have to win this game versus Penn. They have to. They do. They've got it. Um, You know, but I look at the Ivy League and I got, you know, Cornell and Yale is the two best. The next group I kind of have is Penn and Princeton. And then you've got, you know, sort of Brown and Harvard. And then you've got Dartmouth. And with the way that Brown played at Virginia, and I'm sure we'll cover that in a second, you know, they've, they showed enough life to think that they need to be taken seriously as well. I think Brown's going to have a tough time beating either Cornell or Yale, but I do think that they, um, if they play as well as they did against Virginia, against Princeton and Penn, I do think they can win that game. So bringing this back to Penn, Princeton, Princeton's got to win this game. Like they, they, they've got, and, they, and I think they will. I think they will. Um, so we'll Honestly, see. the Ivy League is pretty tough, but they, 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 they're racking up some early losses, and it's going to put a situation of massive competitiveness into just getting into the top four of the Ivy League tournament, and some of these teams are just going to have to win the tournament in order to make the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't think any team is going to beat Cornell or Yale, right? I think whoever wins this weekend of Cornell or Yale wins the Ivy League outright. Whoever loses finishes second in the league at five and one. And then you've got, to me, Princeton and Penn and, and Brown and Harvard in that order. That's what I think. With that said, I think Harvard, I think any of those teams can beat any of those teams. I don't think any of them are going to lose to Dartmouth. Um, and so you're really looking at four teams for two spots in the Ivy League tournament. And so just, I think Brown plays Harvard this weekend too, right? Is that the next game for Brown? I think it is. Brown plays Harvard, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, oh, this is a this is a this is a big big weekend. You got you got to win. You know you, those four teams. You got to win. Um, or Cornell, I don't think with Cornell with a win over Towson, the schedule they play, still having Notre Dame on their schedule. You know Cornell doesn't need to win the Ivy League to to make the national tournament. Um, you know, and I, and I don't think Yale needs to win the Ivy League to win the to 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 make the national tournament. But I do think that these other teams do. How many teams do you think go to the NCAA tournament, if you had to say right now, from the Ivy League? Two. Two? Yep. Unless Penn or Princeton 
you know, end up winning the Ivy League championship because you think Yale and Cornell. Actually three, but, um, you know, Penn, to me, they could beat Cornell, but Penn's not going to beat Yale, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and the reason that I say I think Penn can beat Cornell is because I think Gallagher can go play Cornell and win 70% of the faceoffs, and Penn's offense is good enough to beat Cornell. Gallagher's not going to beat Ireland. He, he may do a good job and compete against him, but I just think that Yale with TD Ireland at the X, I don't think they're going to lose. I, I think they're going to be too much for Cornell and they're going to be too much for everybody. I think you really need to have a team like, you know, Penn State or Loyola, um, you know, or, or potentially Towson potentially, you know, to, to, to beat Yale. You've got you to have a really, really good offense and you gotta, you gotta win enough faceoffs to beat Yale, in my opinion. Um, UMass almost did it, but I just felt like that's because Yale just was kind of dumb down the stretch. I just, you know, they didn't, they didn't seem like they played that well. And look, maybe I'm, maybe I'm underselling UMass, but I just, I think that Penn can beat Cornell, but I don't think, I don't think any of the any of the other Ivy League teams will beat Cornell. I don't think Harvard. Brown, Princeton, or Dartmouth have a chance at beating Cornell or Yale, for that matter. And I think that Penn's chances to beat Cornell are greater than anybody else's. But I don't think also the, the faceoff X dominant potential. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's right. Speaking of Yale, they took care of business against Michigan. Quick recap on that game. Yeah, I didn't see. I just, I just followed the score. Yeah. Um, I saw that Yale won something like. 17-10 or 17-11. That's about what I'd expect. I actually wouldn't expect them to give up that many goals. But I do know that that Michigan is a is a very, very good team. They got a great goalie and they got a good faceoff guy and they got a, some scary guys on the offensive end. They got a big time defender. Um, you know, so I, I'm I'm not that 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 score is probably right. Yep, I agree with you. All right, how about this? Brown up four goals in the fourth quarter. And Virginia is able to come back and win in overtime. And Virginia is kind of like the cardiac kids these days. You know, they've got, what, three OT, three OT wins. I mean, three OT wins in the season. I mean, that's just like right. monumental, you know, for, for anybody. Um, so uh, your thoughts on that game? Yeah, Virginia, I mean, they are like, they're like running by the pool while playing with matches and scissors without getting burned, cut, or falling in the pool. And no sunblock? <laughs> it's just it's it's incredible the way that they've been able to pull out these wins you know hand it to their kids hand it to you know Lars and, and Kip and, and Sean and those guys but they just I, I I'm 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 shocked that they were able to do it I mean I, I normally root for Lars but in this game I was definitely not rooting for Lars I was rooting for Brown all the way and I thought that we had it. I was really impressed with the way that Brown played. I didn't think that they were capable of playing at that level, but they got an unbelievable performance in the goal out of Goss. They got a great effort out of their face-off group, the face-off guys at the X and the wings. I thought that they, they really – I thought Brown played harder than Virginia. I thought they were more organized than Virginia. Um, you know, Virginia took some terrible shots. You know, Doc's Aiken stepping in – from 18 yards to take a high-to-high -high shot 
you know, at that point in, the game, in overtime, like, are you out of your mind? I mean, that just, that, that would make me lose my mind. Um, you know, but then equally disappointed that Brown doesn't get a timeout when they get transition after the short stick, you know, whatever strips Matt Moore, whatever it was, they let turn, they get transition. 13's coming down the field, the attack then ball side back cuts through to create space. And he doesn't push that and dodge, you know, against an offensive midfielder getting back on defense. That was a great opportunity to push that, push that in and, 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 and push it to the goal. He pulls it out, no problem. I'm yelling, timeout, 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 timeout. And you see the pole closing in from the bottom left part of the screen. Out of the box. They're just waiting for the whistle to blow, and they never called the timeout. You just couldn't believe it. It was heartbreaking. Um, uh, but credit Virginia. You know, they've, they've done it three weeks in a row. You know, they're 4-2 they're and two with three overtime games. And they just have to hope that every game the rest of the season goes into overtime. <laughs> <laughs> how about zones how about brown's zone though brown ran a nice little uh what uh twerp would call a 13 zone with the shorties up in the top corners and um it, brown's got some nice athletes on defense i mean they were like you know you know they got some big kids like uh like our boy caputo's son yeah uh, jackson caputo from deerfield total beast uh Enchil. Not, not very athletic, not as, not sort of uh, as big and powerful, but just like, you know, Brett Brown with Goss in the net and uh, the ability to play the athletic and play some zone, um, it does bode well for them because, I mean, I, I, there are teams that struggle with zone. Um, and while Virginia kind of figured it out, it, it, it was uh, – it took them a long time to figure it out. I think Brown kind of could have held the ball a little bit more maybe. They took a couple shots that I wouldn't have wanted to take. That one kid who took the took the they took one shot that actually missed the goal. Brown got the ball back, but like they took a similar shot from about 16 yards high to high right after they played a bunch of defense. You know, it's just I couldn't believe that the kid shot the ball. Um, but I was impressed with Brown's defense, and I and I don't know if I necessarily agree with you that Virginia figured it out. Um, Virginia looked like a mess on offense. They they just didn't look like they had any real plan. Um, they won the game, credit them. They came back and did a good job. You know, Ian Laviano found a couple of seams, and if that was by design, then, then I stand corrected. Then they did figure it out. But Ian Laviano got lost sort of within the seams of the Brown defense down the stretch and scored at least two catch-and-shoot goals, um, you know, maybe more than that. He finished with four, I believe. But, I, you know, when, when teams are taking 15-yard shots and beyond, that to me is your scheme is if your scheme if the design of your scheme is to yield 15 yards time and space shots then good luck you know good luck with that um well they did find him in the slot they did have a couple of backside looks one should have been a goal that missed it was a really nice play where they dodged the low corner passed it across yeah and it was a one-timer that ended up being a mom goal, but it should have been a goal. And well, that was the backside attackman on that reaches for the ball and kind of eliminates his ability to, to preserve his angle there. And yeah. as a result, it was a mom goal that I think they eventually got back. But I just feel that Virginia lacks somebody that makes everybody better with the ball and his stick. Michael Krause is a stud. He played great again and finished this game down the stretch for Virginia. You kind of knew it was going to happen. But he's not a true quarterback. You know, he's a, he's a goal scorer that 
he can feed as well, but he's a goal scorer more than he is anything else. What they need is they need a guy that's going to have three assists for every one goal that the kid scores. And I don't know whether that guy's an attackman or midfielder or whatever, but that's what Virginia need. They've got some super dynamic ball in their stick players in Moore and Aitken and Kraus, but they don't have a true quarterback that, that catches the first pass when somebody draws a slide and then is able to dissect the offense with consistency. And I think that that's going to come back to be a problem for them down the stretch when they play teams um, in the ACC in the next five, six weeks. I, I just feel like Virginia is just so inconsistent. Sometimes they look great and sometimes they look awful in the period of like the same game, you know? Well, well if, if, if somebody scores a 16 yard step in shot, that would, that's actually scarier for Virginia than it is for their future opponents. Because if those are the shots that you're relying on to get yeah. 33% shooting efficiency, you're probably not going to ever get there, right? They, 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 need, they need more scheme support. They need, they, need to, they need to generate more layups. And if, they aren't, if teams are taking away those layups, you need those 16-yard shots to become 12-yard shots so that those guys don't have to shoot at 100 miles an hour to, to score. Because I think they sacrifice some accuracy for power, and they have to rely on power because they're so far out in a lot of instances that they're letting these teams off the hook. Time for our Axia Time Ivy League Player of the Week. So each week, we, Andy and I pick a player. Andy, uh, this time, you kick us off. Who's your Axia Time Ivy League Player of the Week? That's easy for me. Uh, this guy had a, had a part in, in uh, sticking it to me and, and creating a bent nail on Sunday. But I'm going to Cornell, and I'm going to have my Oxia player of the week, Clark with an E, Pedersen, eight goals, unbelievable performance this weekend to help secure a very, very important win the first high quality win of the season for Cornell uh, Clark Pedersen eight goals against Towson after a two goal performance in a loss to Penn State so Clark with an E Pedersen my well, Clark Pedersen is the nephew of the late great Dave Huntley just need to mention uh, my friend Dave anytime I can um, and this kid is also we mentioned this earlier uh, this year was is a three-time captain at Cornell. Unbelievable is, uh, leader. I'm told this guy's just a stud. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay, so my Oxia time Ivy League player of the week goes to Penn's Sam Handley, the freshman. What a stud. Who is this guy? He's from, from? from Portland, Oregon. Um, I met his dad, actually. I got a random phone call, you know, when I was, when I was uh, still uh, running 3D. And he was like, yeah, I want to start – I want to get lacrosse going in, in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. Would you be interested in having 3DB in Portland? And my son is an eighth grader, and all the best kids, you know, from that class. I think I can get you, like, four different classes of, of really good players. I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So this guy, J.B. Hanley, great guy, really, um, really was instrumental in getting a lot of players um, opportunities to play. He coached his son and all those – Sam Hanley's a 6'3", 6'4", 210 pound attackman, really, really two handed. He's very much like a Kevin Lowe type of player. He's just a little bigger. 
Wow. He's got, he's a great feeder. He's got great hands. He's a basketball player. Um, and is just, uh, he, he's, he's a special player. He's going to make a big difference for them. I mean, I think that he's like, uh, going to be an elite attackman. Was he uh, hurt the first three weeks? I never heard of the kid. Uh, no, I don't think so. But I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's just like you know, as a freshman, you know, you're just sort of figuring it out and, but he's a beast, man. I mean, he's like, he's no jokes physically and he's got the vision and the, he's very, he's kind of like an Asher Nolting type type of player he's just really big and strong he can body you he can kind of get a question mark shot at will so anyways um he he ended up having own four yesterday against st joe's which shows wow. you like you know that's the kind of what stat you're talking about that virginia kind of needs right the guy who can go oh and four and just make everybody yeah, better. that's right that's right um so yeah sam hanley um and so this um this segment is brought to you by axia time axia time.com go to the website axia uh, time and uh, and check out check out the array the, check out the collection um, Towers and I love our watches um, we <laughs> I just can't believe how heavy it is to be honest with you like it just feels like I feel like it's too nice sometimes it, it makes it, my, my oxia timepiece makes me feel important in a nutshell <laughs> I love it so uh, and then the last thing if you go and you want to get one of these watches uh, there's a coupon code for hundred dollars off and it's Bruno 100 um and that's b-r-u-n-o 100 and that will give you 100 bucks off so um andy let's um let's get into next week and just uh get some picks going um if 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 you're up for that oh yeah i'm game game <laughs> give me your opinion on these games give me a pick carolina buck no carolina rutgers lehigh lehigh BU Bucknell. I want Bucknell to win for RD's sake, but I think that BU is going to win. Syracuse Rutgers. Syracuse. Loyola Navy. Loyola. Denver Ohio State. Ohio State. Duke Towson. Duke. Cornell Yale. Yale. Virginia, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Penn, Princeton. Princeton. Brown, Harvard. Brown. All right. Love it. Andy, another great show. Great to be on with you. We'll uh, check in next week, and we'll check on those picks. Very good. Looking tough. All right, man. See you, bud. Peace. The Philacrosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today.